now consider these my home waters because I, I live here, I've, you know, I've, I've fished here for a long time and I just, I really love it here. Um, Westlip Cutthroat, probably by far one of my favorite fish to catch on a fly rod. Um, they're very apt to come and hit a dry fly. They do get some decent size to them. Um, and they're just fighters, man. They're tough fish. Hey OSP fans, on this episode of the show, we venture slightly out of the valley to Kuski, Idaho, home of Nature's Spirit, and today's guest, Thomas Lamphere. Thomas is a fly angler, a former commercial tire, and the proud new owner of Nature's Spirit. At a young age, Thomas has already made a name for himself in a number of ways in fly angling. Listen in as we talk all things fly tying, fishing, and get to hear a background on the amazing company that is Nature's Spirit. Here's the show. Welcome to the show. We are here today with our guest, Thomas Lamphere. How are you doing, Thomas? Not too bad. How about yourself, Drew? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Brian? Oh, never better. Right on. Today, we are going to talk all things fly fishing and fly tying. Thomas, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, um... I pretty much play with feathers and sparkly stuff for a living. <laughs> it's not a joke. Um, I recently, in October 1st, I took over ownership of a company called Nature Spirit. Um, we manufacture and wholesale fly tying material worldwide. Um, we're based out of Kuski, Idaho. We are known for having the best hand select duck feathers, select deer, elk, and moose hair, strung feather products such as marabou, schloppen, saddle hackle. And we also distribute for a lot of major companies like Whiting Farms, Hannock, Fasna, Sibai, Hens, um, Solar Res. I mean, in total, we distribute for 38 different companies, and we just brought in a couple more called Perdigon Mania and uh, South Fork Products. Cool. Yeah, and I can't wait to dive into some more of the uh, techie stuff and more... Uh, intricate aspects of, of some of the product lines you guys carry. Dude, it's, it's nuts how much stuff we have in that little place. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, sure. this is going to be a perfect episode, too, because Drew, obviously fly shop manager, fly fisherman, me, haven't been fly fishing yet. And yeah, then that'll that, change. Yeah, it will change. <laughs> uh, this summer should be pretty fun. Um, I'm about to get obsessed, Brian. <laughs> I'm it's, obsessed it's, with too many things already. Just this is going to replace the, all those just, things. Just it won't. For the love of God, don't hook him into big fish first because he'll be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Start him small. Between, Start him small. <laughs> between the podcasting and the beer making and the... Uh, music? And the music. If, if you thought kids. that was expensive, just wait. <laughs> I know. It's already too expensive. No, it's good to go because I'm sure we have fly fishing listeners and i'm sure we've had listeners that also have either little experience or no experience so mm-hmm. drew will ask Shout all the technical questions and i will ask all the very stupid questions that's okay <laughs> i'll have answers for as much as i possibly can whether i don't or, yeah. or do i'll make something right, up if give I don't, explicit so. directions to your favorite fishing spot <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> not gonna happen <laughs> you have you have this great you know lake-like river down here called the snake that works great for bass <laughs> yeah and what you want to do when you're going to my favorite fishing spots is take your car and submerge it all the way in the water down to the very make bottom. sure your seatbelts buckled yeah, just, just don't stay in there yeah and just don't look on the ground for booby traps high explosive <laughs> spikes and nails and you'll be fine <laughs> 
right. All right, we got that out of the so, way. <laughs> so, uh, can you give us a little bit of background about um, Nature Spirit and how you got involved with that? How did you come to 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 purchase that that uh, company? Because you're a young guy. I mean, you're you're 30. You said yeah. Right? I turned 31 in a week. Yep. So it's uh, um, Nature Spirit started as um, I think with Mission Mountain Hair. It's owned by Joel and Julie Weimer. Um, they bought Nature Spirit from a guy out of Seattle, um, and they moved it to Kuski, Idaho. Um, they were originally in Montana. And I was working for a company called Fish Hunter Enterprises. For those that know on the West Coast that do a lot of steelheading or big into marabou and that kind of stuff, um, that's kind of where I got my base. I started working there when I was 23, um, and that was 2013. And then in March of 2018, Joel and Julie purchased uh, Fish Hunter, took it over, and hired me and moved me from Seattle, Washington, out to Kamiya, Idaho, which I was more than elated to go because I've been fishing here for 10 years. Can <laughs> <laughs> come out every fall for steelhead. So right. um, I was doing that, working at Fish Hunter. They offered me the job as their general manager, and... I came on over, and oh, about oh, six months later, I got an evaluation from them, and it was more so a, hey, we want to sell you our company. And of course, my mind went, hmm? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we've just been pushing to grow as much as we can and, and keep things going and, and bring it up. And for the past few years, it's been building up web, you know, the website, building social media presence, gaining more customers, bringing in new products, doing a lot of promotion, showcasing things. Um, haven't been doing it a lot lately, but usually on the second and fourth Tuesday, uh, Thursdays of each month, I do a live on the fly tying session. It's on Instagram and YouTube. Going to start doing that again coming up in February, um, and then we'll start doing our fly of the month. You know tutorials on YouTube and stuff, and and get things going. But um, yeah. After that, it was really just a let's kind of take this and see where we can go with it. And then when they, you know, brought the opportunity for me to buy it, it was two years of a lot of work, and and then it finally happened. And and now we're just screaming busier than we could possibly <laughs> imagine to the point I'm actually hiring more people as we go along. I've got two new hires that just started. Awesome. So we can try to keep up with production because um, we're, we're blowing through that much product. Cool. Cool. So you mentioned it. How, how big is the team there? How many guys uh, people do you have out there? Including myself with the two new hires, we are now at 12. Okay. So when it's, I, it's still a pretty small small crew. For it's it's a pretty small crew for as much as we pump out, and that's kind of the nice thing about the kind of business we're in. It's on a manufacturing and distribution, though we do manufacture a bit of our stuff, and we need the crew to produce it. A lot of it's just bringing it in, putting it on the shelf, taking it off the shelf, and sending it out the door. Right. Um, right. That's that's the main thing with with distribution. Yeah. All right. First stupid question: What is Marabou? So, marabou is a really fluffy feather that comes off a turkey. Oh, um, gobble, gobble. Uh, chickens have it too. It's called chickaboo. But main source of marabou that you'll find anywhere comes off a domestic turkey. And they're usually out of farms in Asia. Most any strung feather product, that's where it's going to come from. Is that where you get yours as well? Yeah. And on that note, and on the fish hunter note, um, I do have an affinity for fish hunter 
anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you mentioned. Um, so when that came over to Nature's Spirit, what was it that stayed? Is it just those dyes or the process? That, so do you, do you guys process that in-house? We do. We buy it by the hundreds of pounds at a time. Okay. And then uh, my dad, who now works for me, which is still kind of weird. <laughs> it's weird having your authority figure that, hey, I respect you because you're my dad and you're my authority figure, but I'm your boss. <laughs> and then he just, you know, give me the twisted eye and, yeah, right. Um, no, my dad does all the, so he is my production manager. He takes care of all of the dyeing and all that stuff. So when Fish Hunter came over, um, he came in to take over all of the dyeing for Joel. Uh, we have in Marabou somewhere around... 80 colors. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. We've, yeah. 80 we've got, colors of marabou. We've and it's, got a lot just in our shop from you guys. Yeah. And then you you should come up and check it out and see how yeah. many more colors you don't have. Because yeah. you're just going to be like, I, I, I need that and that <laughs> and that and this. And these would go really good together. And it just becomes a smorgasbord of madness. Um, <laughs> so my dad does all the dyeing. And so we get it to the where everything comes in white. And when you're looking at 80 colors, that's a lot of time invested. That's a lot of recipes, a lot of things to move on. Fish Hunter was really known for the color selection and quality. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we kept that going because the name meant something. Right. And I still have the original sign of wood, Fish Hunter Enterprise, in my office on the wall where I started. That's awesome. Um, so I, I literally climbed up a ladder, drilled the screws out, took the board with me to Idaho. So <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, so there's quite a bit of a process that goes into it, but, yeah. um, yeah, everything comes white and we dye everything. That's crazy. That's so. crazy. So how do you have enough space to do those 80 colors? Do you guys kind of just do a batch at a time and then clean everything out and put in a different color? Pretty much. Um, we have quite a few boiling pans. Mm -hmm. They're three to five gallon. Um, everything is done stovetop. Really? Yeah. Wow. So you're using a lot of acid style dyes water base so it comes in a powder form you measure it out put it in your water you bring it to a boiling point and you add water to bring your temp down put your feathers in it's really touchy on on temps you can boil marabou it'll be fine you put saddle huckle above 150 degrees you're going to singe all your ends yep it's completely worthless i know because i have a couple batches of it at home <laughs> <laughs> um so your temperature is sensitive on on some feathers but pretty much it's you're going to boil your dye to turn it into a water base. You add your product after you've cooled the water down. You get it good and sitting for a while at a certain temp, get it simmering. And then most acid-based dyes just de determine some kind of acid base. You can use vinegar depending on the dye. You can use sulfuric acids or, or whatever harsh acid. What that does is that forces the dye into the feather or the hair and closes the pore. And that's what sets it. And then you rinse off the excess and let it dry. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting, too, because some feathers, you know, are different when you put them in the water um, in terms of, like, how much comes off, how much doesn't. Like, some, mm -hmm. some brands you'll see, like, you put, like, in those Flyman float tanks, for example, you see guys throw in, like, a spay fly of some kind. And your kind. water turns pink or blue, and yep. you're just like, what the heck? Yep. Generally, what happens there is it didn't get rinsed off enough, ah. or it wasn't brought to enough of a boiling point to soak that dye into it. Right. Um, some colors... People will just throw dye into a pan mm -hmm. until it goes, and it takes forever to rinse out because you put too much dye in it. 
Um, generally, how we do it is we have everything done strict by recipe. It's under lock and key and, and armament in the back, and you, no one's getting in there and getting it. So don't even try. <laughs> um, so it's all done by specific recipes, just like a baker does for baking cakes. Sure. One thing's off, the cake goes away. Same thing happens with dyeing. Like a brewer does when he's exactly, making Exactly, when beer. a brewer does, and it puts the wrong type of hop in. or you uh, know, Wrong temperature. Well, wrong it'll, temp, it'll yeah. make it, yeah, mm-hmm. it ruins it. And, uh. Yeah, and again, I mean, that's why so many people love and seek out fish hunters specifically because it's always super nice. Yeah, and we we yeah. wash it as much as possible so it doesn't bleed. Right. There's there's colors that, like purple. It's just going to bleed. It's purple. Yep. <laughs> it yep. takes so much dye to force that thing to go, and then yep. I feel bad for the people that have to cut it up like <laughs> I used to, and you, you walk out and, I have rainbow fingers. And, you yep. know, and that's what you go with. Yep. <laughs> yep, or even shoot, just sitting down and whipping out a bunch of flies, your fingers are going to get purple every once mm-hmm. in a while. And just don't lick your fingers, man. Don't, <laughs> don't do it. It's probably tempting. Ooh. Well, you kind of sit there and go, oh, I need some moisture. And then you lick your finger uh. and look, wipe the fly off. And I look at what, how those feathers come in. I'm like, God, don't do it. Yeah. Just don't lick your fingers. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's coming straight from the farm. And they it's don't coming care. straight from the farm. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and some things do not get washed. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I stole uh, from Kelly Gallup. He had a little tip where he takes a like one of those plastic fly containers that you'd get from any shop, mm-hmm. cuts out a sponge, yep. dampens it, and then he just runs the material over that. But you That's still exactly see him, what I do. You still see him in his videos take a whole feather and run through his mouth. Yeah, I I have uh, chickens and I had a obnoxious rooster, so I gave Drew some feathers, and I'm like, I just rinsed them in water. You know, <laughs> like they don't look them. Yeah, exactly. I just rinsed them off. They're, they're still gross. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you talked about how busy you are. Um, and I know for us, in some ways, at my shop, COVID has actually benefited our business. Has that been the case for you guys? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. with us, everybody has stayed home. Mm-hmm. So, what's everybody doing? They're doing their hobbies. Right. Hobby jobs are what's taken off. Um, and we've we've done a lot to help shops as far as. Hey, if you don't have a website going, we have all the info on our site. Just grab it, get your website going. Make sure you're putting things out there and whatnot and because it's been insane. Um, last year, like we're known for our deer hair, our deer and our elk. Sorry, Zach. I know you're going to hate me for saying this because you cut it all up and you told me not to anyways, but I'm the boss. So <laughs> um, our compared on hair. We're known worldwide for our compared on hair. For those that know what, don't know what a compared on is. That's me. Yeah. It's a very small, simple fly. It's got a deer hair tail, a dubbing body, and a deer hair half moon wing. And if the hair is not perfect for it, the fly doesn't work. Um, generally, compared on hair, how it's graded, it's very compressible, which means when you squeeze it, it flares, and it's got really short tips. Um, the reason you want the short tips is because a lot of compared ones are tied between 16 and 22. Teensy, tiny, tiny, tiny bugs. Tiny flies. But don't let me tell you that a size 12 in mahogany works just fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, because I've heard it somewhere and I don't have two dozen of them in my box. It's okay. Um, but it's the same thing. Like we have a grading period where we have X caddis compared on their very popular hairs. We blew through a year's worth in seven months. Mm-hmm. And to the point where we ran out of almost all of our hair. Right. So after taking over, my brother and I, we go on a trip to go collect all of our hair and we increased our collection by about 30%. And where are you getting this hair? That I will not tell you. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. But I'll tell you the process. Um, so we actually go collect our hides 
and they're not we're not running around to tanneries and and, and sorting that we're going and we're getting hides that are like yeah i killed it this morning oh nice so we're going and getting all hunted animals we're over there in scraping away during the hunting season we're going through hides we're grading the hair as we get it in lightning speed and we're taking them and then we trim them to what we're going to use we literally scrape all the flesh off it's 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 dude it's it's nasty <laughs> well it sounds like a lot <laughs> we, of we work go through too. a lot of salt because we sit there and scrape them salt them let them salt for a couple of days drive mm-hmm. them to our tannery that we work with and then we start getting them back in big shipments and then we go through the process of grading it further cutting it up and, and i have a lot of respect for that process because i've tried to do it before and it didn't turn out very good <laughs> yeah I, I got myself this year to the point where i could deflesh an elk in about 12 minutes yeah yeah that's cool um yeah i mean for us it's just been from certain vendors availability on things because we sell through it so fast like you're saying we just don't have the product to fill back onto the shelves yeah and we've been seeing some of that too it's not just you guys i mean that's an industry-wide thing sure i mean like i said we, we deal with 38 vendors that's not all the vendors we deal with that's just the people whose product we sell right so like whiting farms is a vendor that we distribute for Hens, Hannock, um, Hedge on Flashaboo, uh, Wapsi, UTC, Uni, Lagarten, Solares. Those are all vendors that we distribute for. That doesn't include all of our raw product vendors. People where we get squirrel skins from, rabbit, different dubbing products, synthetics. Um, and so you're looking at probably, oh, 75% more vendors on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm dealing with 60, 60 plus different companies to get product in. Everybody's having issues. It's mm-hmm. a industry-wide thing and not yeah. just our industry. Totally. It's in every industry. Yep. Any industry you manufacture goods of any kind, even, I mean, we saw it with the toilet paper and the paper towels. It's well, just, just getting an industry there, thing. Look, look at the mail. I mean, the mail's backed up in and of Bullets. Bullets. Oh, bullets. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. For, um. I'm a competition shooter on the side. I do all my own reloading. Mm-hmm. Um, getting reloading material. Getting reloading material and bullets yep. has been very interesting. Um, yep. Was it North 40 today and you guys had 9 mil. I got my two box limit. Oh, no way. Are <laughs> yeah, they, they still there? I doubt it. Go. I'm just going to have to have you look for me. There was day. like 40 yeah. boxes. I grabbed my two. I went around the corner, came back, and there was like eight. <laughs> I was wow. like, ah. Well, because when that stuff lands, I mean, they're already basically handing it to somebody as they're yeah. putting it out. But then also, hey, dude, I'm on the phone right now with uh, my cousin and my brother and my aunt, my uncle, and my, you know, they're calling. Send them all down, yeah. yeah. And then you got people that try to buy up as much as they can, and then they just turn around and sell it, and that yeah. pisses That's me off. That's annoying. No that is yep. so annoying. It really is. I mean, even 12 gauge has been hard. Mm-hmm. Totally. We, well, there was a time when we didn't have a box of anything on the shelf there for a while. Yeah. yeah. That was Sportsman's last week. I went in to get my brother's uh, late Christmas present, and I just for fun walked through, and th- there was a few boxes of the most obscure ammunition, and yeah. that was about it. Yeah. Which is like your 44 long colt, your... 38 short you're mm-hmm. just weird rounds mm-hmm. and you're nine by 18 and even then and there were only a couple boxes left yeah so it's just, just it's it's not just fly fishing and fly tying <laughs> it's ammo it's food it's cars yep. it's paint it's puzzles it's anything that gets produced is slow yep right and well speaking of which 
um, you know, you're working with all these different vendors. I'm sure you've obviously got some new stuff for 2021. Oh, yeah. Is there yeah. anything in particular that you're super excited about? Well, we um, we have one we put out to our vendors, or to our dealers already from South Fork Products. It is a magnetic fly holder. Um, it's a detachable magnet to a steel plate. It's coated with a silicone rubber base. It's cupped. So you get a couple different uses to it. We've played, I've used them on the river, bouncing up and down rocks. I've taken them, thrown them across the room with flies on them just to see how they'll hold up. Man, I haven't had a single fly fall off these things. And nice. they're good, they're the strong industry magnet, magnets where, like, if you're not careful, they'll pinch your skin off. Oh, <laughs> right. Strong. Yeah. Dude, they're nasty. Um, but they're cool because they're magnets. It's yeah. Science. <laughs> um, well, it's kind of just cooler than a fly patch. Yeah. And, uh, it's nicer than a fly patch because the fly patches wear out. Mm-hmm. Magnets don't. Um, everyone I know freaks out. Oh, you're magnetizing your hooks. Eh, it doesn't matter. I've <laughs> never had a fish that turned away from a fly because it was magnetized. Right. <laughs> um, There's a lot of funny uh, superstitions. I guess not superstitions, but I misconceptions. Guess, misconceptions. And, and, and like weird circular logic with, uh, well, this won't work because of this or that. Or it's like, hey, there's a green Drake hatch going and I've got the perfect green Drake pattern but they're not eating it because i'm wearing pink socks instead of green socks you yeah. know <laughs> yep. it's that kind of thing um honey but, where are my green socks <laughs> they're in the laundry honey you didn't wear them last week <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's kind of one of those things where it, it's uh it comes in a couple different styles it comes in this little disc with a steel bait um back and then it's got a do that's the solo then the duo is twice the size but it's got magnetic plates on both sides Cool. Um, and you can remove them from the steel plate. The reason that's a benefit, you can put the steel plate on the inside of your shirt, put the magnet on the outside, and it will stay there. Mm-hmm. You can do it to your hat. You can do it to your pack. Um, and you've just got a little patch right there. I've done it and used it where I'm you know, going into some water where I'm euro-nymphing and I'm going deeper than what my waist pack wants me to. Um, so I'll, put, I'll stick that to the outside of my waders, put a couple flies on it. I know I'm going to fish in that run. Fish the run, go back to my truck, pick up my pack, and I've got all five flies I took with me there. Yep. Um, we also worked with them to take the duo and the solo and put a silicone pad on the back of it mm-hmm. so that you can put them on the table and fly tires can use them as a magnet to put their hooks and beads on. So cool. I, yeah. The beads aren't really magnetic, um, but it's got a lip on it so you can pour your beads in it and then they're not going to fall out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the benefit of having a, now I'm going to say this as a fly tire with experience in the matter, I'd rather have a magnetized fly than a doctor's bill from pulling a barbed hook out of my toe. I've had that, yeah. Or your or dog. thumb. Or, well, the thumb, it can, I've, yeah, that's just going to happen when you're when you're fishing in general. Yeah. But there's nothing worse than looking and going, I've got a two-watt bass hook in my foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you've got a 22 and it's past the barb and it's not coming out. And you, you try to rip it out and you're like, this sucks. Yep. Um, so I've always kept magnets on my desk. I like these because they're portable. I can throw them in my tying bag. I host a, a fly tying event over at a tap room over in Kamii called Beer 30. And uh, we'll put a couple of those on the table now and people can just put their hooks on them. We don't have to worry about hooks falling on the floor, that kind of thing. And it's kind of nice. Um they're not on our website yet, but you can go to southforkproducts.com, check out all their products. You can order from direct. You can also go to a fly shop and request them. It's They're, they're just really cool. Um, the fly tire ones are a Nature Spirit exclusive. So if you want to get one of those ones, you do have to go to a Nature Spirit dealer to ask for them. Hmm. Which uh, happens to be North 40 
uh, fly shop right here in Lewiston, Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> so we heard about the um, you you know getting groomed and taking over the company, but why? Where did you learn how to fly fish in the beginning? And Good let's go question. way. Let's go yeah, way back. Oh, you're going ancient here, even though at the age of thirty. Um, <laughs> so my dad started me at fly tying and fly fishing when I was six. I All started right. pretty young. Um, so I, I I grew up with a fly rod in my hand and a vice on my homework desk, and I just that was my main thing I loved to do was to go fish, and to the point where my mom would ground me from going fishing if I didn't have my homework <laughs> done. Um, yeah, <laughs> that actually happened. Um, good motivation. Yeah, good motivation. Get your homework <laughs> done. Okay, I want to tie flies now. You know, <laughs> you only finished half of it. I know, but I need to tie this wheeler burger. It looks really cool. <laughs> um, so I do that. I mean, I I constantly just loved tying, and I would spend all my allowance money on materials. And then, as I got older and realized what a job was, I got more and more stuff. Um, but I was that one kid where I would go fishing after school every day. I went to Peninsula High School in Purdy, Washington, which is outside Gig Harbor. You know where this is at. Mm-hmm. It Across the street was my favorite beach on Puget Sound. I caught tons of cut sea run cutthroat. For those that don't know what that is, that is an anadromous cutthroat trout that lives its majority of its life in the saltwater. Um, they're very estuarial. And they will venture out into open ocean a little bit, but most of the fish will stay within Puget Sound, British Columbia area. Their range is literally just northern California to southern Alaska. Um, They will sit in estuaries, feed on everything from shrimp, sculpins, herring, sand lances, euphosids, amphipods, salmon smolts that come out. Like when the chum smolt migration happens, it's fun. Um, you're throwing poppers on the shoreline in, in little groups and you're look, you're fishing for these 16 inch fish in like a foot of water <laughs> and you're watching the backs come out of the water, smashing small little bait balls. And it's just a hoot. That's cool. Um, of course I'd get salmon and, and stuff out there too. My first steel that I ever caught it's in the saltwater fishing for cutthroat. Yeah. That's cool, that was man. a, that was a kick in a 28 inch steelhead on a six weight. That's awesome. Uh, so I, I grew up doing that, and that was my thing I loved to do to the point, I mean, when we had the the kid fairs where you could come and sell the things that you like to make, I would sell flies. <laughs> <laughs> I had a principal that fly fished, he'd come and buy them, and I That's had awesome. teachers that fly fished, and so I hung out with my teachers more than I hung out with my fellow students. <laughs> um, they start putting in orders? Dude, how do you think I got through high school? I'm like bribing my teachers with with flies, you know. I think that paper's gonna be an A for like. Yeah, you're like flies. here's here's a couple of Alaska salmon flies, and your husband's going up. Can that be an A instead of a B minus? <laughs> I'm just saying. That's cool. And then I got out of high school and I started commercially tying. Mm-hmm. When I graduated, I did that for probably solid seven or eight years, to the point where my wrists hate me there's probably twenty thousand flies a year yeah i bet and it's just it's it was fun and then it wasn't Mm -hmm. then i got into this side of the industry kind of tapered down on the commercial tying a lot now i'm doing it really seldomly and uh now it's just materials and tackle and having fun behind the scenes of a fly shop and it's kind of fun when you can walk into a shop and go (laughs) <laughs> I know where that came from. Right. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, my dad would take me everywhere to go fishing. We went to Montana. It was actually cool. I've got a photo of a side-by-side photo of when I was 16, when he took me to fish Montana for the first time on the Clark Fork outside St. Regis. I've got a 24-inch West Slope cutthroat. One of the biggest cutthroat I've ever hooked. That's huge. Um, I've only gotten one West Slope that was bigger. The other photo next to it is literally a mile down the road on the same day 10 years later. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> um, I went back in, in 2016, fished it with a friend, and uh, it was a run about a mile up, hooked another 24-inch cutthroat. and Well, I mean, one is just... One that size is basically a fish one that of, size of, of a lifetime. Exactly. It's a fish of a lifetime, but to get two on the same day 10 years later is just kind of, it's just weird. That's cool, man. It's just weird. It's, it's not cool. cool. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen. That's cool. Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, you kind of mentioned um, when materials come in, they're not always processed. Mm-hmm. Um, what type of stuff lands to you complete and then what stuff isn't? you know, totally finished when you get it that you guys have a hand in, in producing. So we don't put our name on everything that we sell. Mm-hmm. Um, if it comes from a vendor, we want that vendor to be known that it comes from them. It's they're the ones that put the work into it. We're just selling it for them. Um, a lot of them, but we, I mean, we have the exclusivity rights for the United States or North America to sell their product. Meaning if any fly shop wants to sell it, they have to come to us. Um, which a lot of the industries kind of move in that direction. Um, Pertagon Mania, one that we just got, we're releasing that one soon. Um, it's really fine one millimeter strips of, of film, tons of different colors and styles. And uh, it makes some of the coolest little Pertagones and body wrap and shellback material I've, I've played with. It is a little on the brittle side, but they're Pertagones. You're coating them with glue. It's Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, we get in, we sell it as is. If it doesn't have a barcode on it, we will put barcodes on it because it's the United States. Everything needs a barcode for inventory. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's going to be kind of anything that's like Hannock hooks. We barcode them, but when we get them, they're in their own little boxes with the Hannock logo on them. Don't be what they are. Same with Whiting Farms comes in a bag that has Whiting across top of it. Um, flash, same way. Uh, what's another vendor that comes in that way? You know, Fasma, Sibai, everything that we sell from a vendor comes that way. Now, when you start to going into things that we ourselves produce, um, everything that we bring in comes in a bulk form. What I mean by bulk is, say, if you're at the shop and you buy a quarter-ounce pack of marabou or a one-eighth ounce pack of, of guinea fowl or you buy a bag of CDC, um, it all comes bulk, meaning we buy it by the pounds and then we process it, meaning we have to clean it, we have to dye it, dry it, get it to a sellable form, and then we sit there and pack it. And some of it's, and most of it's by weight, some of it's by count, um, like our hand select duck feathers, it's all by count. Crazy. Meaning we get a big bag of, of fluff and we sort through, that's a bad one, that's a good one, that's a bad one, that's What's a good one. What's the drop rate on that? It depends. Um, <clears throat> like our, for example, our bugaboo. I'm going to hate myself for mentioning this one. Our bugaboo is not strung. It's hand selected. You get 24 feathers in a pack, um, which means 
we sit there and we sort out a bad pound or two of feathers that we've dyed. And on that, it's about 50% drop. Crazy. So if you're wondering why stuff's expensive on hand-selected things, that's why. Right. Um, but that's why you pay for the premium. That's why you pay for the premium stuff. It's yeah. all hand-selected. It's you know, You're going to get every feather that's going to be what you want. Um, same with our teal flank, our hen mallard, um, our mallard spays, same way. Uh, you get 24 feathers, but it's we buy mallard by the pound, and we sit through through every pound, and we pull every spay feather out of that pound, and that's a lot of feathers to go through. Yeah, no kidding. We, you know, when we bring it in by 40 pounds at a time, it's <laughs> my eyes hurt one after a couple of days of it. I bet. But... And That's the same crazy. thing goes with dubbing, too. Like, we buy our emergence Antron dubbings the same way, squirrel. We buy the squirrels on skins, and we shave them. <laughs> we don't buy it pre-shaved. We shave the squirrels. That's crazy. So we bring in these dry, dirty squirrel. We wash them, <laughs> and then we sit there and, you know, shave them up, and then we dye them and process it. It's a messy job, man. <laughs> Tell me you haven't given a squirrel a goatee just for fun. Um, me, no. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but we do that with, I mean, a lot of the furs we get, like beaver. Yeah, we buy tanned, plucked beaver pelts, and we shave them. Hmm. That's how we get the dubbing that we do. Where We have really good beaver dubbing. Mm-hmm. It's really well known for, for quality, buoyancy, and we literally... Buy the pelts tanned, plucked, and sheared, and we sit there, and I pay my baby brother to go d- d- to shave beavers and squirrels. Get <laughs> <laughs> your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> but we sit there, and we shave them and clean them and, and process it, and it just goes from there. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I was going to make a shaved beaver joke. <laughs> so another, uh, along the lines that. of uh, uh, guttery things... Why is it that jungle cock is so expensive and so rare? Because uh, you're getting our minds out of the gutter? No, I'm going Oh, you're going, you're going, you're going okay. back into it. jungle cocks, which is, it's a chicken that comes from Asia. <sighs> now you know. <laughs> and it has really it's, cool feathers. Yeah, it's jungle fowl. There's about four different species. The gray jungle fowl is the one we're talking about, which is the jungle cock. What that means is that's the rooster of the family. That's the male. Um, they have, for those that don't know, they have black and white feathers with gold spots on the end of them. They're very beautiful. I've got a couple of them myself. They're, you see them a lot when you're looking at Atlantic salmon style patterns, um, flat wings, big striper flies, that kind of thing for more of the traditional side of tying. Stuff like that, um, because it's an endangered species. That's what it is. I didn't yeah. understand that it was endangered. They're endangered. Okay. Um, even though it's a chicken, it's an endangered species. So there, when you're, when you get into the side of endangered species, you start dealing with a lot of import export problems. It's an Asian species bird because of the way it is. You cannot legally import jungle fowl. You can get it from an American source grow. Generally, it's going to come with paperwork. It's going to cost you about two to 300 bucks. For a mediocre grade, I mean, I've I've seen some that were grade ones that went for five or six hundred dollars. Crazy, um, and it's it's the same way with a, a couple of different animals. Um, Raya is another one. Yeah, Raya is a, a pain to get into the U.S. We don't even try. Um, you're talking so for those that don't know, fishing game and then the USDA 
take part in controlling of what animal products come in and out of the United States. That goes for food, that goes for feathers, pelts, whatever. Um, so say if we have a shop in Canada that buys deer hair or and pheasant and that kind of stuff that's all hunted animal, they are required to get a wildlife permit, which means we take we go through we do it for them. There's a fee to go with it, and we fill out the paperwork. We get it. We get the permit in a couple of days, and you have to do this for every single shipment that goes out and into the United States. <laughs> I pay someone to literally do this. <laughs> That's wild, man. Um, that is part of her job. Is she she handles all of the wildlife, all of the migratory bird permits, the USDA stuff. And it, it also, it's different also to what country you're getting stuff from or what mm-hmm. country you're shipping to. Some countries, like we, we have a distributor in Japan. Uh, we have to do a wildlife permit and we have to get um, a health certificate from the USDA. So there's, there's permits that go into everything. Um, black bear, you cannot export black bear without a CITES permit. Those are a pain. No one does it. Anymore. A what permit? A CITES permit. So what does that entail? What's That's, special about black bear that makes it so you have to have that? I'm not 100% sure, but I think it has to do more with numbers than anything um, and where it comes from. And there's there's some species you just have to do that. Uh, peacock's another one. That's why peacock's kind of a pain when it comes to flies. Hmm. Um, you've got a, a, just, it's just a few of them where it's just, you know, Polar bear can't hunt polar bears because they're endangered. Sure. So there's, you know, if that kind of thing, so no one sells it. Um, but there's just there's specific animals and stuff when it comes to the endangered side of things and whatnot that that can turn how things come in and out of the country. That's why jungle cock is so rare. It got gotcha. overhunted because of fly tying specifically. Hmm. Their meat, from what I know, is not the greatest for cooking, so people don't really use it. But fly tires loved it so much they almost hunted the thing to extinction and and now you have all the tight regulations gotcha. on everything that you have. Yeah, because I mean I can't even tell you how many times people come in and ask, Do you have any kind of jungle fowl? Oh man, like, it's it's no. annoying. I have the synthetic stuff. I have like the stickers. <laughs> I have that. You know? Yeah, the just to let people know the stickers work just fine. Yeah. It doesn't look as good. But you can get multiple colors. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I always was curious about that. And I was curious, you know, is it something that can be domesticated? Which it turns out like maybe maybe it's not. You can domesticate it. Um, from what I understand, they're kind, they're kind of a pairing bird. Oh. So they, they go in pairs. Um, it's not like normal. From what I understand, they're not like normal chickens where you can have one rooster to 20 hens and get a whole bunch of eggs mm-hmm. um hungarian partridge are the same way they're a pairing bird um so you've seen a decline in in hungarian partridge processing that's because some people just some of the harvesters that had them the growers they quit harvesting them for the meat and just went to straight hunting they're real finicky they're pain in the butt to grow um, they're very picky on temperatures and all kinds of weird things, and they just die really easy. So they're kind of a nuisance bird to most farmers. Um, but hunters love them. They're mm. very tasty. And they're abundant and around they're, here. They're abundant around here. Yeah. So we, 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 if you hunt them, we pay you for them. <laughs> <laughs> Same with turkeys. Um, Did we, not know that. Yeah, no. We we actually get guys that come in and they'll they'll be on the road and they'll hit a turkey, 
And it's uh, they'll bring it in like here's ten bucks, cool, and then go away, <laughs> and then we sit there and debreast it and have lunch, and uh, <laughs> as long as the meat's still good, you know, if it starts to rank, we just kind of throw it away. But you know, if it's uh, we've gotten some pretty good toms that way, and it's you know, it's a salvage. Idaho is a salvage state, mm-hmm. so you have the right to pick it up and use it, and yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Hello, old Spiral Podcast listeners. If you're like me and enjoy pulling out a bottle of wine while you're cooking dinner, during dinner, after dinner, or uh, any time the mood strikes you, then you should try the wine from Parejas Cellars. Parejas Cellars is a boutique Washington winery with a tasting room in downtown Clarkston located at 903 6th Street. Their goal is to make high-quality, affordable, and delicious wines from the unique grapes of Spain and southern France, all grown here in Washington State. They're currently offering huge discounts on their wine, starting at $60 a case for a delicious white Rhone blend. You can also mix and match a case of their Trace Rojas Red, House Red, Sisters of the Vine White Blend, and the White Rhone for $120 a case. That is 12 bottles of wine for $10 each. Prejas is also offering free home delivery, so there's no excuse not to support this local business. For more info, check out their Facebook, call 509-910-9844, send an email to mark at parejascellars.com, that's mark at p-a-r-e-j-a-s sellers.com. Also, if you haven't yet, listen to our episode with owner Mark Weisling to see how much knowledge and passion this guy has for good wine. Curbside and delivery, Thursday through Saturday from 1 to 5. Well, all of it from getting the materials, but once you have it all, sorting it, dyeing it, cleaning it, and even tying it sounds just like a very intensive process. And I've been up to North 40 with Drew and hung out with him while for a minute while he's tying flies. And I mean, it looks like it takes him a while. Is what Drew's doing at the fly shop kind of in his spare time or at home, like the same tying process? That you guys are doing, you just have more people doing it, and they're really good and so fast we, at it? We don't tie flies. Oh, well, we, okay. mean, like We do in our spare time and on our own stuff, but we yeah. don't sell flies. Oh, they're, you have all the materials. The materials yeah, gotcha. we just do the material. Make it, yeah. So, like, Drew ties flies on his own. So he's buying our product mm-hmm. to tie flies. That's how, we, that's how we work. We don't manufacture or sell flies. We just sell the material. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was going to say with, uh, what would you say, 13 people or something? It was 12. 12, 12. people? Yep. Yeah, that would, I don't know how you'd get enough <laughs> to, yeah, to I mean, actually tie them. Most, most flies that you're seeing out of a, a bin at a fly shop are coming from Asia and Africa. Oh, the, really? The, the mass majority of it. Um, you do have shops that do tie their specialized patterns. They'll, they'll pay their guys to tie them of so much a dozen like when I was commercially tying, I was tying a lot of sea run cutthroat flies, a lot of salmon stuff, real specialized stuff to Puget Sound that you can't get from a factory, because the factory looks at it and goes, "We can't tie enough of these to make it worth it. Why would we want to tie those when we can tie a thousand stimulators or Prince nymphs or elk caracatus mm-hmm. and go that route? Why would I want to, you know, tie have someone tie sixty dozen of a sea run bugger or a shrimp or?" when they're just for Puget Sound because the colors and the species of them are very different than, say, 
your guy is going to the Bahamas or Christmas Island or Hawaii or the Caribbean of some kind mm -hmm. where people are going on these trips and they don't care about the price of a fly. Well, and even at that point, I mean, the flies that you might swing for sear on cutthroat in the sound might be different from the flies that they're going to swing for sear and cutthroat in Oregon. And it might be super specific uh, to that. I mean, kind of, maybe not that extreme, but it could be that extreme in some cases, like geographically, like you're talking about. Geographically, yeah. I mean, your bait fish might be a little different in shades depending on the gravel that you're around, and that's and that's going to be true to any river body of water you mm -hmm. fish. Um, everybody's got flies and stuff to specific rivers, to lakes, to stuff that they. they this river's got Daphne in it, so I've got a bunch of blobs that are Daphne or red and pink. This river's got a bunch of scuds, so I've got a bunch of sow bugs and scud patterns that are in browns, olives, pinks, and oranges. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, we fish these in this lake, we fish those in that lake. Mm -hmm. And then you got the river that's chock full of stoneflies and mayflies and elk or caddis, and that's all you want to fish. It's, you can fish a tan and a black elk hair all year long and catch tons of fish. And then you go to the lake, and it's all scuds. It's, mm -hmm. just, you know, it's, it's like that everywhere. Right. Um, right, definitely. And, I mean, that's that's what I think is a huge part of the fun with not only fly fishing, but fly tying, because it kind of is that next level of craftsmanship and kind of owning, like, the ability to know when and where I'm going to use this, or when I when I, when I use this fly, when I use um, this pattern, I get results. And so, like, starting to learn that, get that down. Um, and that's what makes fly tying super fun to me. And, and you know, like you said, when, when you're tying and you, you tie something specifically for maybe a season or a place mm -hmm. and you catch a fish on a fly that you tied yourself, it just makes it's you a, feel like a badass. Yeah, it's a total different experience when you hook a fish on a fly that you've tied. Totally. Um, and, and to get to that point, it's the reason you see a lot of different colors and stuff in the products that we do is that same reason. Different regions have different different colors. Like you have sulfur. Okay, we have a sulfur and we have a sulfur orange. One's more yellowish, one's more orangish. Depends on what kind of sulfur you have. Mm -hmm. You get a sulfur done in, in the Catskills and it's you know, and they have their own style of color. And then you head 50 miles south and they've got their own kind of sulfur. It's the same, you know, that's the same problem. Um, so like what you're saying is you're getting used to it of, of trying to figure out what, the, what they're hitting and getting your bugs right. The number one thing anybody can go do when their bodies of water is take a sand net. Mm-hmm. Take a seine net. It's a little handheld net. You can kick up the bottom, scoop up some of the, the gravel and the weed and whatnot, get it in there, see what's in the water. Um, you can also, like when I'm on the river, if I'm out, um, especially on new bodies of water, I won't start. I will even start fishing. I'll just start picking up rocks. Mm -hmm. Because you pick up a rock and you turn it over, you're going to find out exactly what's in the water within a couple of rocks. And the bugs you're going to find more often than others are what you're going to want to fish. Mm -hmm. um, also, if you're getting into tying, um, yeah, we have every color you could think of to match anything on the planet, but the kicker is you need to get your material wet to see what it actually looks like. Yep. What people don't understand is when you're fishing a color, it darkens when it gets wet. So people like, they love to fish dark olive. Okay, I fish a lot more mediums and light olives because it's going to get darker. I do fish dark olive. Like, I'll do an olive, a medium olive woolly bugger to get a nice olive tone, but I'll put a strip of olive, dark olive marabou over the top of it 
to give that lateral top view, um, just like a bait fish would have. Mm-hmm. Now, the same thing goes with your dubbings, your hackles, all that stuff. When it gets wet, it darkens out. Right. That's what I always think is funny about on our waters here when people say, well, purple's a great cutthroat color. Well, purple turns to like black when it's wet. It, it gets super it gets dark. really dark. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, black might work just as well as if you threw out a purple fly. It might be a little bit brighter, might catch their attention a little bit more, but it does change a lot in, it, the, in the water. It does. And that's, and that's kind of on your visual spectrum, too. Um, where I say it's always good to wet, in, to wet your, your materials to see what the color is going to look like when it's wet is, say, for a damselfly, it's really light. You fish a medium olive thinking that you're actually going to fish a really dark fly. You want to go to a really light olive to match that tone. Um, the only thing like what you're saying, like, to go black, on that side of things from purple to black, purple still stays kind of purple. Humans have about three v- spectrums of UV that we see. Fish have about 12 to 15. Hmm. So they're going to catch up on more colors. But again, when you have fish that are being picky, you need to make sure that your colors are going to be more specific to what you're using versus I'm going to go fish purple all day long. Purple is a great color. It's the same spectrum as olive. It's a fantastic color. I've got purple hazes in my box. I've got purple hoppers. I've got pink hoppers. Sure. Colors. Of it's course. Great color. Yeah. I'm not dogging purple. Yeah. But it's just that factor of you know, fish see more, but we also need to make the fact that you can fish a green drake, fish a green drakes, but make sure your colors are going to be matching what you're doing by getting them wet. Mm-hmm. Totally. Do you have any ties or flies that are uh, your favorite to tie or ones that maybe were more challenging that you really like doing now? Um, as a, for, as a, someone that's spent a lot of time commercially tying, I hate complicated flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just on the side of, I've tied a lot of complicated stuff for people on special orders, and then they complain about, oh, that you're charging too much. I'm like, custom fly, dude. Come on. <laughs> right. Um, it real, and it also comes down to like for myself, and if if it depends on the mood I'm in, okay, like, will determine what fly I want to tie. Um, I love now far as far as fishing, the flies I'll tie to go fishing. Um, I love Euro nymphs. They're fast they're easy um they get down quick they get yeah they get down quick i love frenchies i love pertigones i love tying soft tackles um what about more of like just an artistic standpoint artistic standpoint i go straight to steelhead flies every time um you get in the atlantic thing i do I, i do some of it but i prefer to tie stuff more so that i can fish i've done the whole married wing super elaborate Married fly. I had one fly. It took me 14 hours to tie it. Ooh. It had three married wings on it, two feathers of blue red pheasant. I think it was six, six, three pairs of jungle cock. And I put it in a display box and a guy went, I'll give you 400 bucks for it. And I went, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was 22. <laughs> I was like 400 bucks. That's a new rod, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've done some of that Atlantic salmon stuff. It's really fun. It's a great way to challenge yourself mm-hmm. and your skill, but you have to be patient. If you're yeah. not patient, if you're not a patient person, don't 
do it. Go look one of those up if you've never seen one. Go, if you've go never, see what yeah. they look like, and I'll, I'll show you some after this, Brian. If you've never Heck seen that, I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, yeah if you've up. never seen Atlantic salmon, space, uh, Atlantic salmon flies, they're very decorative. The, I've seen some that have wings that have 30 different sections Ooh, in one Those wing. are cool. They are very fun to tie, very time-taking. Um, but for my personal self, what I love to what I love to tie is classic steelhead stuff. Mm-hmm. I love putting modern twists on classic steelhead stuff. Mm-hmm. My favorite steelhead fly to tie is a Lady Caroline. But I do a twist on it. The original pattern is like a maroon body with a natural blue-eared pheasant, which is like a really nice dark dun color and a bronze mallard wing on top. I tie mine with a silver tinsel green butt with a purple body and I put a blue feather into it and then I top it off with a purple collar and I'm actually using ringneck pheasant because blue ridge really hard to get. Um, ringneck's a fantastic substitute for it. Um, Good I'll either know. use that or I'll use our uh, spay hackle, which is actually a burnt uh, goose flank feather. Look, it's stiffer. It's not as long, but it's nice and stiff, and it keeps really good shape. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, I'll actually tie them together. I'll tie a goose, the spay hackle goose, burnt goose that we do, um, and then I'll put ringneck in front of it so that I have that blue coming through, and then I have that purple going over, and then I put a couple feathers up top to give it a nice wing. I've, it's one of my go-to steelhead patterns. Cool. Um, but classic stuff's always fun. And then when it comes to bugs, I love tying stone flies. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. there, then there's pike flies. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's the, you know, I'm going to throw $20 on a hook and call it a fly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it's fun to tie big stuff. I mean, a lot of the time with, with nymphs, I mean, I'll tie a lot of nymphs, but a lot of dries I end up just buying. And then streamers, I love to tie myself just because they're fun. Yeah. And the, and the thing with, with bug patterns like dries and nymphs, for those that don't know, a nymph is a subsurface, is when an insect is subsurface. It's aquatic insect, like a mayfly, stonefly, caddis, crane fly, mosquitoes, midges. It's bugs that live in the water, and then they come up to the surface, and then they hatch, or they crawl out like a stonefly, and then they hatch off, and then they become an adult insect. Um, those are what we call dry flies, because we're flying, we're fishing them on the surface of the water, so they're considered to be dry. Right, and that's the hatch that you can visibly see when exactly. it's buzzing around when you get out of your pickup and you're heading down to the mm-hmm. stream. Exactly. So, dries and nymphs, I mean, you can fill a box of dries and nymphs all you want. It's the same patterns you're going to tie all the time, and you just know it because they're the go-tos, and they get boring after a while. Well, how fast can you knock one of those out? Depends on the fly. All right. If yeah. you give me a butt, if you give, tell me I need to do a couple, you know, some Frenchies, I'm... I tie on a Norvice. It's a free spin bearing system. I can crank about three or four dozen out in an hour. Mm-hmm. Nice. Limited materials, just really quick. Fun. Those are kind tail, of tail, rib, too. body, wrap, rib, dubbing, done. Yep. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yep. And they're really wicked effective. Yep. Effective. We uh, we actually have a Paragon coming up in our uh, fly tying class at North Forty. Uh, nice. I think we're doing zebra midge next, and then Paragon. After that, but uh, yeah, kind of on that note, like what what does inspire you to tie at this point? You know, you said you've done a lot of commercial tying. Is it kind of just like a? Is it sometimes a new material or like something you've seen or or something, or is it just to fill the box? Well, um, it's kind of a combination of things. 
For me, I of course I need to fill my fly box. And now that I own the business, that does not happen. <laughs> um, Ten, twelve hour days will bite you in the butt when it comes to fly tying, mm-hmm. and then you spend the night before going, "I need like three of these so I can get through the day." Um, <laughs> so there's there's times that I gotta you know fill the fly box. I just kind of, and then it's um, I've got because you know I got a promotion, so I have to play with new product. So I you have, have to I have to. It's not a, it's not an option. I have to play with every single thing that's in that building. Yep. You do not want to see my fly tying room. <laughs> it is about the size of this room and it is tubs of just material. Oh, man. I it's can't even so imagine. Bad. Yeah, I bet. I bet. One of the things I do is I will go through my stuff and go, I have way too much crap in here. I need to zone down and I will randomly send stuff to my friends. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if, they're, if they have kids they're learning how to tie flies or they just tie a lot I'm like here's a bunch of random stuff here you go mm-hmm. um, then I've got a you know the last guy I did it to it was like the, the second box I sent to him and he, he's just kind of like you ass <laughs> I'm like my <laughs> wife is so mad at me I'm like oh, dude I mean I, I had to get rid of some stuff um, so there's the product there's the the promotional side of things gotta play with it just so you know how to sell it it's kind of like that way with industry. You got to know how to use it so that you can sell it. Sure. Um, the other side of it, and the main reason I love to tie, is very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And I think with the whole thing we dealt with in 2020, why a lot of people got into it is because it is a therapy. Um, I know a couple of therapists that actually use it to combat depression, to use it as uh, an anxiety relief. Um, before Sometimes putting people be on medication, inducing <laughs> it can be, but it, you know, if you do it right, it's actually pretty relaxing. Totally. <laughs> Usually for me, it's I pop up in a beer uh, or I yep. pour myself one shot of good whiskey. I do never do a double again. I had one night I had a couple of shots of whiskey while I was tying, and that's where I ended up with that bass hook in my foot because <laughs> I and it was a fully tied fly too. And I'm like, how the, oh great. Um, my luck would be my dogs. Yeah, no, kind of the feeling. Oh, no. I used to have a dog. We couldn't take fishing anymore because he would run up behind us and grab the lures. Ooh, yeah, that was. He'd try to grab the bobber and then grab the bait when I was a kid. And then my dad threw a Rapala once, oh, and no. the dog got a face full of treble hooks because he crammed like. Ah, yeah. uh, yeah. Poor buddy. Pretty much, yeah. No more fishing <laughs> for that dog. Um, but no, it's very therapeutic. Yeah, if yeah, it's something I mean, that people have never music, tried, zone exactly. Out, Pandora just, gets going, or yep. I'm watching a podcast on YouTube or mm-hmm. something, and I just go to town. Yep, for sure. Um, you know, just a couple more things here um, that I'm I'm interested in, and then maybe Brian, you got some stuff. I've got a thousand there. more questions. <laughs> That's all right. I've got as many answers as I can give. <laughs> uh, we touched on it kind of a couple times now. Um, but I'm really interested in, like, of course, being a purveyor of fly tying stuff mm-hmm. and, and all that. Um, I'm really interested in the trends. So right now, I think Euro-nymphing and trout spay are probably the biggest trends in fly fishing that there is. And oh, yeah. like we said, we've, we've touched on uh, Euro-nymphing quite a bit. Um, how much of that is starting to come into your business? Well, our, so nature's spirit is kind of based in that realm. Um, Granted, we're really well known for our natural products. That's what's really, that's what built the name of Nature Spirit. Um, the distribution side where we've brought in products for other companies, a lot of the stuff that we focus in is in the Euronymph style of fishing. Um, for and example, Hannock. Well, and for the folks at home, what is Euronymphing really quick? We talked about nymphing. So for those that don't know what Euronymphing is, 
Um, Me. Every, yeah, everybody <laughs> that fishes kind of knows what a drop shot rig is. It's pretty much the exact same thing, except instead of using a 9-foot leader, you're using a 30-foot leader, depending on if you're going to go more Czech old school with the 9-foot, or you're going to go more French-Spanish style, and you're going to use a 30-foot leader. Generally, my rig is 25 feet of 17-pound fluorocarbon to my cider, which is about 5 feet, and then I go to a micro ring. Well, actually, I use a barrel swivel, so if I have a fish that barrel rolls on me, it doesn't twist up my leader. I recommend people do this. <laughs> yep. Go to a they're barrel. They're cool for streamers yeah, too. Do, yeah, they're great for streamers because your your spin your fly will spin on you, and it keeps your line keeps your leader from getting twisted. Mm-hmm. Dry fly fishing, it's not going to happen. It's going to slap the water too. You're going to slap the water. You're going to sink your bug, and you're just going to have to deal with your knotted leader. That's why yep. I don't dry fly fish that much, <laughs> um, unless it's you know on a two odd and got a big deer her head on it for pike and bass. <laughs> but um, the euro nymphing is. The base of it is, is you're taking a heavy bug. It's got a usually a really heavy bead, and you are bouncing that on the bottom of the river column. And then above that, you'll or off the tail end of it, depending on how you're fishing, um, you have a secondary fly where you either have an emerger, a San Juan worm, um, a soft tackle, and you're fishing that mid column. So you're hitting two two different parts of the water. Um, fly fish food put out a really good video how they were actually using a very heavy nymph to help them bounce a dry fly caddis on the surface like it was a dabbing caddis Mm -hmm. what caddis do when there's when the females come back to lay their eggs they actually fly up and they dive their abdomen into the water to deposit their eggs they were showing a trick on that it's actually a really cool way to use it um but the general rule is you're going to have a heavy bug that's going to go on the bottom you have a either another weighted bug or one that's not in the mid column where you're going to take another heavy fly off the base of that one and you're literally dredging every hole you can find that's deep or, or shallow, depending on how you're gonna, what kind of water you have. But the design of it, you're going to get through that water faster, and you're going to get a longer nymphing drift. Um, I do it here on the locks on the subway and the clear water. It is deadly. Especially on the locks where you can really control the speed of your drift mm-hmm. on such a fast piece of water. You've got, because the, now the, for those that don't know, you have tailwatering fisheries you don't have to have as heavy a bug then you've got freestone water freestone is fast moving water that's got a lot of boulders a lot of pocket water you need to get your fly down and around boulders to find fish that's the lock saw your thing up there is insanely effective um because you're going to get your fly down and some of those holes are six to eight fifteen feet deep Mm -hmm. and you got to get that fly down through that water to get that front part of that riff so you can get through that drift and just fish that whole thing. Um, and that's where Euro nymphing is coming, becoming really popular because people can fish a lot of the smaller creeks in some, even some of the bigger water and fish those riffles and those deep pockets more effectively because they can get their fly deeper in the column faster than, mm-hmm. say, using a, a rig that you're, okay, you've got your indicator or your bobber or your whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's five feet above your nymph. You're only fishing five feet deep. You could mm-hmm. be fishing eight feet of water. The fish are at seven feet. Your fly's at five feet. They don't even see it and they don't care. Totally. You put a Euro rig on and you're now allowing that fly to go all the way to the bottom. And like a drop shot rig, you're going, you're keeping your line tight so that you feel that take. And um, you're also using a longer rod and a much mm-hmm. lighter weighted rod. So you're yeah. using like a two weight, a three weight, four weight at most. 
um, 10 foot or an 11 foot rod, which again is going to yeah. increase that sensitivity that you feel all the way through your drift. Exactly. And if the rod's built correctly, you can really feel the tip of that rod bounce right. up on everything. Which brings us up to what you were talking about before I derailed you and started asking you about your nymphing specifics. You're talking about Hannock. Yes. So one of the companies, one of our main distributors that we deal with is Hannock. Um, they are known for super high quality uh, hooks, um, very much so through the competition world. Um, but we also distribute for Fasna, which are also very good hooks. They're on more on the stout side, um, similar models, but they're on a stouter side. So if you have to, if you like fishing stout hooks, yeah, Fasna is probably your thing. Um, I fish the Hannocks, I fish a couple of the Fasnas, and then we have another company called Dohiku. Um, Tohigus are great hooks. They're very underrated hooks. Um, they're not as you know they're not as expensive. They're not in nice of packaging. Um, they're in bags instead of containers. But man, their jig hooks get down to a twenty-two, mm-hmm. and you put a twenty-two midge pattern in some of those waters I fished in Montana, like the Missouri. It's deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, now with Hannock specifically, they also do rod reels, lines, and stuff, and we do distribute their rod reels and lines. Um, I fish all of my Euro rods are Hannocks, of course, because, you know, they're, we're their distributor. They're very easy for me to come by and they're very nice rods. Yeah. And I um, haven't had much experience, um, with their rods and reels and lines side of thing. It's just been, been hooks that I've bought as a yeah. customer. So their, their lower end rod, which is their wave rod, it retails our MSRP on, it's like 220 for their rod mm-hmm. it's a 10 foot three weight Super 10 foot four weight very approachable um and i've fished them and they're very good rods they're sensitive they work really well we've used them in lakes we've used them in the river my brother has one and uses it it's it's a great rod um and then they have some mid-grade rods and they've got of course they've got the superb xp which is retails at 850 and you know it, it's a really nice rod very light. I recommend getting it if you've got the money to do so. I, I truly do, you know. <laughs> um, but even even for my even for myself, I fish the Czech Nymph X. It is actually their midline rod. Retails for three fifty. Fantastic rod. Nice. Um, and their their reels that we get from them, the highest most expensive reel that retails like two hundred and forty bucks. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean at that point and. It, it, it's just you could have whatever reel. Yeah, I mean it's your own thing. You can put a forty dollar reel on it. Doesn't care. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yep. You're using it to literally hold the line. You're not. You're not stripping line off and doing these elaborate casts. You're literally flipping it over into the hole, running it through the run, picking it up and flipping it right back to the top. Yep. That's your own thing. You don't need to have the most elaborate reel on the planet. Now I will say that it's good to have a reel that has a decent drag. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I will draw the line on it. Is is if it has a good drag, I don't care what it costs. Mm-hmm. I, will, I if it's a hundred dollar reel, that's perfectly fine. Just make sure that you can handle a fish. <laughs> right, right. Especially without blowing it up or free spooling exactly. or whatever. And I've seen some free spooled reels on some some reels that just I spent five hundred bucks, drag seized up, free spooled, it's over. Yep. I've got hundred dollar reels at home. I've never had a problem with. Mm-hmm. Totally. Hundred um, percent. Well, you know, uh, just in closing here, I've got a couple more questions for mm-hmm. you. 
Um, you know, you mentioned some of those events that you do. Um, you want to go ahead and plug those again, The like the Beer 30 you were talking about? Yeah, so I live in Kamii. For, for people who don't know where it is, it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> if you go along Highway 12 up the Clearwater River, you literally drive through Kamii. It's the last actual town that you drive through before you go over Lolo Pass. Um, it's got a grocery store, small town strip, it's, you know, maybe 2,000 people at max. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small town. I love it. We have a place called Clearwater Brewery Taproom, or Beer 30 Taproom. And uh, the owner is really cool, former sheriff. Um, It's all microbrews, revolving tabs, and we just, or revolving taps, not tabs, but, you know, (laughs) hey. Um, We host, uh, every other Tuesday, we host a fly tying event down there. It's literally just, hey, we're going to go down, have a good time, tie some flies, have a couple beers. If people want to get into it, they're more than welcome to just Stop by and watch. Bring advice. They've got questions. We'll show them. Um, it's pretty much like if you want a free fly tying class, just come and hang out. Cool. Um, on the social media side of things, it's, we do a uh, live on the fly event. It's live stream on our Instagram, which is Nature Spirit Fly Tying. Same with our YouTube channel. And it's kind of one of those things. It's kind of what I use for promotion to show off some new stuff or show a technique or new tools. And uh, most of it's material-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we'll do stuff like, I'm going to tie a pike fly. I'm going to use an Icelandic sheep. Or I'm going to show a technique. I did a, a video strictly on dubbing loops and how people don't utilize them to the full capacity. Mm-hmm. For example, a lot of people like to use dubbing loops for, for dubbing and composite loops. It's pretty much all you see. You can spin deer hair by putting it in a dubbing loop. Yep. People don't know that. You take a good gel spun thread, you can put your hair into it, give it a good spin, get it nice and tight, and stack that puppy just like you're stacking regular hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do the same thing with bucktail. I'll put bucktail in a dubbing loop to get a stacked shoulder. Mm-hmm. Works really, really well. Um, so it's kind of things like that. Or go over some patterns, or sometimes we'll get a question in a video, and then we'll make that question the topic of the next live on the fly. Um, another thing that we were, we did a couple times. I want to get back into it again is we did a fly of the month challenge, which was pretty much if we tie a pattern and we want to see the, your variations of that pattern, gotcha. post it in the first, started it in the first of the month, go through the whole month. Um, I'm actually building a social media team, so I'm not doing it by myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, when I turn on my phone and I get 300 notifications after looking at, not looking at it for four <laughs> hours, I'm like, I need help. <laughs> um, that's kind of some of the stuff that we do and we have a what we call our premium bug club team you can go to our website see who that is um for those who know this is vin diesel's one of them oh cool Um, i didn't know that yes vin diesel's on our on our bug club so is uh raymond collette uh, john and katie demuth joe jackson a couple others and you can follow them on Instagram, and they're constantly tying everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. At the highest level. Yeah, and they do some crazy stuff. Like John and Katie, some of their bugs are absolutely insanely, like, critically done. Mm-hmm. Like, to the max of perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, Sven, he does some wicked crazy fun stuff. So does Raymond. Um, mm-hmm. Raymond's like a good mix, does a lot of trout stuff. Sven is all over the place. 
that man ties everything <laughs> I have ever seen, and I've seen some weird stuff come off his vice. Yep. yep. For sure. Um, so those are kind of the, some of the things you can follow and see. On the tying thing, I mean, man, if you're coming through Idaho, give the tap room a call and see if we're doing a tying night that week. And if you're there when we're there, dude, stop in. Mm-hmm. Just stop in and say hi. Cool. And what are all of your socials? So you said Instagram. So we do YouTube. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. It's all under Nature Spirit Fly Tying. Um, and it's pretty, you know, throw us a like, throw us a follow. We're trying to become more more active on it. We haven't been so much through December and January just because we have been so swamped. I'm sure. Um, finding time to post stuff has been like, okay, cool. The post I'm putting up tomorrow is my baby brother, Sage, you know, wrapping zonker strips, which it's stripped, you know, strips of rabbit into mm-hmm. piles. And he is just absolutely covered in rabbit fur. He charges <laughs> rabbit fur. So, yeah, um, totally. Cool. Um, and then I just got like a little rapid fire question around here. Like what are two or a couple pieces of etiquette that you'd recommend to somebody that's new fly fishing that approaches the stream for the first time? If you approach the stream for the first time, number one, pack it in, pack it out. I don't care. I am so sick of seeing people go in, crack a couple beers leave their bait containers, leave their beer bottles and beer cans and food Mm -hmm. wrappers and tip it and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's not just the littering side of things, but I mean, like I'm an environmentalist on a point of things. I'm also a realist on it, but when it comes to being the environmentalist side is man, the world would be a lot cleaner if we just picked up after ourselves. Totally. Just saying, Mm -hmm. just pick up your crap. Yep. Um, and in my bag, I don't have a tiny bag. I make sure I got a bigger bag for that reason. So that if I pack it in, I pack it out. I also, if I see some trash laying around, I'll pack that out too. Um, another one is if you are on the water or you're approaching the water and you see a guy fishing it, don't low haul him. 100%. Don't low haul a guy or a gal. 100%. I mean, don't do it. Or at the very least say, hey, do you mind if I fish yeah. here? Asking would be perfect. You yep. ask. Some people don't care. Some people are like, yeah, I'm working my way down a run. Now, for example, if it's a guy, he's just fishing the top riffle, and you ask him, hey, if I go fish the bottom of the run, are you going to care? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they know. Sometimes they am going to go there next. If you see a guy swinging a fly, go at the top and follow him down because mm-hmm. he's working his way down the run. Yep. Um, low holing is just not. It's not. It's not cool. It creates a lot of arguments. Is you're basically, it's like someone cutting you off on the highway. Mm-hmm. You get angry every time. You heard it here, folks. If you low hole, you're an a hole. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, we talked about kind of some flies that you like to tie. Um, do you have a specific material that's kind of your favorite or something right now that you're obsessed with? Hmm. Uh, not, you know, not really. Um, I love tying with a lot of different things. I mean, I've got some leech blends I personally make at home. We're working on doing a production style of that. Um, but it's... Man, no, not really. There's just... I don't have a real favorite of things. It's more so I just like to tie with everything. Cool. Um, there's some materials I don't like to tie with. Um, generally, it's going to be yarn. Mm-hmm. I hate tying with yarn. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't like using chenille. Yep. Um, chenille's great for, for quick bugs. 
I don't like tying with it. I mm-hmm. much prefer dubbing, doing right. dubbing bodies over chenille. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're going to get into like long fiber stuff, like the FNFs, Fritz jellies and that kind of thing, or a Staz or cactus chenilles, I use that all the time because it's got a different purpose. Mm-hmm. But just regular base rayon chenille, to, I don't like tying with it. Yeah, it is pretty bland, pretty boring, and, and just yeah. not that fun. Well, cool. Um, I think that's what I got. You got anything else, Brian? I do. Let's yeah. hear it, buddy. <laughs> um, Here we go. No, <laughs> no so you, uh, you work with companies all over across the U.S. You're getting materials and, mm-hmm. and around the world. Like, Do you ever go out to those places and, 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 or, and visit and do some fly fishing in those areas? What are some of your favorite places that you've been fishing? So in realisticness, I haven't been to a lot of places. Um, most of the fishing I've done has been Pacific Northwest. I've been to Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Oregon, Washington. That's pretty much about it. Um, I would love to go to some of those places, but also on the side of it, a lot of the places are like, shh, we don't want you to know what we do here. It's okay. Um, <laughs> you can go fish the river. We'll, we'll let you through the front door, but we're not taking you back there. Mm-hmm. We're, we're like, oh, yeah, come in, check it out. And like, oh, yeah, here's our kitchen. Here's our hair room. Here's our production. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, to my competitors, no. <laughs> you yeah. Do you have any bucket list places you'd like to go? Ooh. I'm sure you got a oh, lot. Oh, man, that's such a long <laughs> list. Um if I was to pick top five, ex- we'll exclude the U.S. Because in the U.S., I could go on about bodies of water for a day and a half. Sure. Um, I will say right now, Alaska is not one of them. Everybody goes to Alaska. It looks fun. looks dumb, stupid fishery. I'm used to catching salmon, steelhead. And it's just, yeah, yeah. Um, the rainbow fishing would be fun. But I was, uh, I did a lot of trout fishing. No, Mongolia would be a different story. Taman. Taman would be very, very fun. Yep. Um, I would love to get a Giant Trevally. Christmas Island's definitely going to be on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also love to go fish. This is a, Now, this is going to be a different one. I'd love to go fish France and Spain for Wells Catfish. Hmm. Wells catfish are a very predatory fish, very predatory species of catfish. So are they going to hit real hard? Oh, yeah, and they get up like eight feet long. <laughs> <laughs> they get huge, man. They're like two, 300 pounds of just muscle. Holy and, cow. Yeah. If you've never um, seen, a, seen a Wells catfish, look them up. There's videos of them like in the rivers in France, and they're literally like going and beaching themselves to grab ducks. Holy cow. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would love to go out there and do it because they, they brought... I don't know how you're going to fit a whole duck on the end of your uh, rod, but... Well, I got it, you know. <laughs> I've got some heavyweight rods, man. It's all right. <laughs> I, that's another thing. I love doing voices at people, too. It's quite entertaining. <laughs> but, no, there's a... There's... Yeah, I mean, you could take... I mean, I've taken... I've hooked sharks. I've hooked tuna on a fly rod. They're so much fun. I mean, I, I would do albacore tuna trips. That was one of my bucket list things. I've checked that off and done it a few times. If you have not done it, grab a 12-weight, get some buddies, go do an albacore trip. It's so worth it. Um, I would love to also get a sailfish on a fly rod. That's a bucket list one. Um, most of them are going to be tropical, but, you know, I would love to hit France and Spain for Wells Catfish. I'd also love to hit Northern Italy and Bulgaria mm-hmm. area, um, or just kind of that southern region of, I think it's Bulgaria, or that, no, that's South America, isn't it? 
No, no, it's no, Bolivia. that's right. That's the southern end of the Czech You're Republic. Bolivia yeah, Bolivia. Yeah, Bolivia. Bulgaria is. Yeah, dude, Bolivia <laughs> will be so much fun. Um, yeah, that northern Italy, southern Czech area, I would love because that's kind of where urine and got a treat. But there's, I would love to hook a marble trout. Yep, marble trout would be. It's a bucket list species. Coolest looking trout. Um, and then also because my saltwater background with sea run cutthroat. I'd love to go get a seed-run brown in the salt, mm-hmm. which would be northwest Europe, um, archipelago area on the go southern end. Patagonia. Yeah, go down to Patagonia. Yep. Uh, you can get, you can the Chile area for them and stuff. You're gonna get more rivers, but man, you're looking at three hundred bucks a day to be on someone's land. Yep. I'd I'd rather go fish for them in the Netherlands and mm-hmm. go to go do a uh, also kind of like a history run on my family background, which is all Nordic, Viking, Swedish, Norwegian region, and and go check all that out. And then, of course, go chase some brown trout and some northern pike. Mm-hmm. So you've been to um, Wyoming, all those places, Montana. You know, you grew up fishing on the west side of Washington. What do you like about fishing this area? And is this area, mm. is this area kind of, does is it holds? I'm sure it holds up. It's Idaho. It's fantastic. It's Idaho, dude. Uh, Idaho but I mean, so nice. what's some of your favorite parts about fishing around here? Well, around here, there's, I mean, everybody's going to have their favorite parts about their home waters. Um, I now consider these my home waters because I, I live here. I've, you know, I've, I've fished here for a long time, and I just I really love it here. Um, Westlope cutthroat probably by far one of my favorite fish to catch on a fly rod. Um, they're very up to come and hit a dry fly. They do get some decent size to them, um, and they're just fighters, man. They're tough fish, um, and northern Idaho is just ripe with them. All the you go to the uh, the Coeur d'Alene, the St. Joe, the you know the Clearwater system, the Upper Salmon. It's all got West of Cuthbert in it. So you even Western Montana too. Those through the St. Regis area, going up through Missoula, all those rivers have cutthroat in them. In Westlop, it's just it's just fun. Um, I do love the diversity of fish here too in a freshwater system. Um, you've got smallmouth bass. You've got you do have rainbows because you have a steelhead population. Of course, you have steelhead. Um, cutthroat. You can also legally target bull trout in Idaho. So people that don't know that, you can legally target bull trout in Idaho. No extra permits. The fishing game actually encourages that you chase them as a game species. Um, it's right on their website. And if you want to have some fun, I go out and I will fish nymphs all day. And when I see a bull trout turn on a cutthroat that I've hooked, I immediately put the nymph rod down, pick up the sev weight, and chuck an 8-inch piece of white fluff into the water and strip that thing like there's no tomorrow. Um, I have hooked some big bulls in northern Idaho. I've hooked, my biggest bull trout is actually a sea run bull on the hoe. I swung fishing for steelhead. <laughs> yeah, and you can actually pick some up that way on the run too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every once in a while, it's more rare these days than it used to be. But yeah, you can do that. Yeah, and it's a uh, for those for those that don't know, um, bull trout is a species of char. Um. We have what's called bull trout and Dolly Varden in the northwest. Dolly Varden is more of a, a Washington thing. When you get into the northern of Puget Sound, like into like the Skagit region going into Canada, that is a North American char. Bull trout are more of an Asian style char that have that progressed over naturally through time. 
Um, and they go, they're all the way through the Columbia River system. They're everywhere. And uh, they're a lot of fun. And how, how you're going to identify them more so is a Dolly Varden looks more like a trout. On the side of, if you look at the structure of a trout where the face is more rounded and the eyes are more on the side and stuff, that's, that's a Dolly Varden. A bull trout is going to be much longer and snakier. Its head's a little more flattened. Its eyes are more up top because it sits on the bottom. It's a predatory fish. It will come up and eat everything from trout to birds to squirrels to mice. Yes, I've skated bulls on mice here. It's <laughs> oh, really yeah, fun. <laughs> they, they do it with brands they too. Do, they do, predatory. man. I yeah. love fishing mice. I wish we had more bulls. I wish uh, I wish we had double the amount of bulls that we do because we, when you do find them, it, it makes your day. The only downside to that is if we had more bulls, we would not have as many cutthroats. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Thomas. And uh, everyone go check out Nature's Spirit. Uh, Google it. Yeah, Website can... will pop up. Facebook, Instagram. Mm-hmm. All the socials. YouTube. Yeah, you yeah. can check out Nature's Spirit, Flat Tango, all those places. Um, just a heads note, if you do tie or fish... You cannot purchase product from us. You have to come to North you, Forty. You have to go to either North yeah, North Forty here in Lewiston, or you gotta go to your local fly shop. We actually have a on our website we have a page that's listed of our dealers. You can go there, you can contact your local shop or local North Forty shop and, and get product. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can get nature or nature spirit apparel. You website. can. Oh, well, not through not our website. The website. No, you cannot buy oh. it from us, but you can go to our dealers and, and request it. We do have t-shirts. There you go. Looking so. at them. Pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in. This was oh, awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Talk about fly fishing forever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, sorry for those that uh, aren't uh, introduced to fly fishing. I'm not. I, <laughs> out. It's a good learning experience. <laughs> it's it's something that's it's a lot of fun. The only thing I will say to people, if you're going to get into fly fishing and fly tying, be patient. Mm-hmm. You're not going to learn it overnight. I have there a lot of people that try to push themselves. Like, oh, I've got to know everything now. I'm like, dude, just, it took me 20-some years to get to the point where I am now. Just hold your horses. Um, but it's, I mean, it's very, very fun. It's a great, fa- it's a good family hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's one of those things where, man, if you like to go hiking or you like to go to backwater lakes and rivers and stuff, you can throw a fly rod in your pack with some flies and have a ball on your hiking trip. Totally. Couldn't have said it better. Well, thanks for coming on, Thomas. Uh, maybe someday we'll be able to have you back on at some point. And, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome having you on. Appreciate it. Heck yeah. This episode of the show was brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. That's going to do it for this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the backlog of episodes if you haven't already, and thanks for listening.